0: Welcome to Can Britain Become an Energy Exporter? This special podcast episode is sponsored by SSE and produced by Politico Studio. Until recently, few of us in the UK thought that much when plugging in the kettle or switching on the central heating about where the energy we use came from. But since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we're painfully aware of how dependent we are on global energy supplies. In fact, Britain imports about 50% of the gas it needs from overseas markets. And that's used not only to heat our homes, but also to produce about a third of the electricity we use as a nation. All of this has meant that energy security is at the top of the political agenda, and the government has committed to reversing this situation. Indeed, it's pledged to make the country a net energy exporter by 2040. But can we really pull that off? I'm David Baker, and in this special Politico Studio podcast... I'm asking what's going to be needed to wean ourselves off imported fossil fuels and whether or not we can meet our legally binding commitment to invest in renewable energy and become a net-zero economy by 2050. Someone giving a lot of thought about how we can square that circle is Lord Adair Turner, Chair of the Energy Transitions Commission a global coalition of leaders from across the energy landscape committed to achieving net-zero emissions by mid-century. And it turns out he's an optimist, thanks to our ability to harness energy not from oil, but quite literally from the air.
1: I think it is possible for the UK to be a net exporter. I think 2040 might be a bit of a stretch, but certainly by 2050, the future energy system will be dominated by electricity to a far greater extent than today. And it will be dominated by renewable electricity, and I think in particular, in the UK's case, uh, by offshore wind.
0: And the good news is that there's plenty of that wind out there.
1: What will be happening is there will be times of the day or year where our very large offshore wind uh, supply will be in excess of demand, but we will be selling it uh, then to other countries which at that stage have demand less than supply.
0: When green technologies first started to be deployed, a lot of people were sceptical about whether or not they'd offer value for money. As with a lot of new technologies, to begin with, the energy they produced was just too expensive to compete with the global price of fossil fuels. But, as we're all now feeling, the cost of those fossil fuels has gone through the roof, and the price of renewable energy is dropping fast.
1: The cost of offshore wind... Uh, has been falling really quite dramatically uh, over the last five or six years. Uh, Only, say, back in 2015, uh, many people were talking about Offshore wind being an expensive technology which had to be subsidised. The government was worrying about the scale of the subsidies. It was saying we've got to have cost reduction to bring the cost down from, say, £150 per megawatt hour to below 100. The latest bids at the latest auction were at £37 per megawatt hour. What we have is a real revolution of technological capability and engineering capability driving big cost reductions in offshore wind. So I think most models for the optimal UK electricity system in 2050 suggest a really dominant role. Maybe 60%, maybe even 70% of the electricity coming from offshore wind, which is huge, and even bigger... Uh, once we are able to go floating offshore and therefore go uh, west of Scotland rather than uh, in the North Sea. In fact, Britain already has huge offshore wind capacity. So what's needed to help it grow? If we have what is called good power market design, which is to do with the way that the contracts for wholesale electricity supply, then we will have pension funds and insurance companies and other sources of you know big capital investment queuing up to do offshore wind developments. And the reason is this. Um, an offshore wind development, if you have the right contract structures, requires a lot of capital investment up front. But once you've done it, it has almost no operating cost and you can have a contract structure which essentially promises to the... Uh, the investor, a fixed-price guarantee on a large proportion of their output.
0: And the UK already has that kind of contract structure in place. Called Contracts for Difference, it guarantees energy suppliers a base price for their output, whatever the wholesale price. And the suppliers pay back to us, the consumers. Any excess they make from selling their energy on the market which will help keep our bills down. As Lord Turner says, that base price right now is as low as £37 per megawatt hour.
1: From the point of view of the investor, this ends up giving them certainty that they will be able to produce electricity and a significant proportion of that, they know in advance they will get paid £37 per megawatt hour for the next 25 years. That sort of investment, once it's in place is exactly the sort of investment that a pension fund or an insurance company wants to have. It's a nice, safe infrastructure investment which will give more than you'd get for investing in government bonds and that's a very nice return. So I am absolutely confident that that is going to occur.
0: But it's not only supply we're going to need to invest in. Renewable power, especially solar and wind, is intermittent and we're going to need to store it for when we need to use it. And one way to do that is to use hydrogen, which may bring back distant memories of chemistry lessons at school.
1: Hydrogen fits in the energy mix in the sense that it is made from electricity and then is used again to produce electricity. Some listeners may remember that as kids at a chemistry or physics lesson, they took a glass of water, took a battery took two wires, put it into uh, the glass of water and off one of the wires would come bubbles of oxygen and off the other would come bubbles of hydrogen. This is called electrolysis. And you can do that and then you can store the hydrogen and then you can use it to make electricity when you are uh, short of electricity. And we'll also be
0: able to use that hydrogen to fuel our existing gas power stations which will be needed to top up our electricity supply when renewables aren't producing enough.
1: The great thing about the use of hydrogen as a storage device is that we can migrate our existing uh, gas turbine stock. We can change it over to burn hydrogen. Most of the gas turbines currently put in place uh, with some uh, development and tweaking can burn uh, hydrogen. So that hydrogen used in that form of actually burnt-in gas turbines creates a very valuable possibility of a smooth transition, that you don't have to throw away the whole of your existing uh, stock of gas turbines. You can convert them.
0: Building all that storage and converting our existing gas power stations to run on hydrogen will take a lot of money. And that, says Lord Turner, is where we need to tweak the UK's energy market to make it more attractive to investors.
1: The system for outside investment in basic generation, I, I think it's pretty good. The other bit that we do need, though, and it is developing and it, it, it's continuing under debate, uh, is uh, the markets for the, the capacity which will provide the flexibility when needed. This
0: is the storage.
1: The hydrogen storage. So if I was to say... What bits of the future system? I believe they're absolutely possible in engineering terms, but we need to make sure that the market will support their development well enough in advance. It would be the storage mechanisms, the flexibility mechanisms, those those gas turbines, perhaps in future burning hydrogen, which, however, may be only running, you know, 300 hours a year, Uh, and therefore need to be able to make a return, even though they're only running 300 hours a year, we need to keep looking at, at that bit of the design to get that right.
0: One way we could make those investments more attractive, especially when it comes to renewables projects closer to home, would be to simplify our planning system. It currently takes about eight years to build an onshore wind farm in the UK. But according to Emma Pinchbeck, it needn't. Emma is the chief executive of Energy UK, which represents more than 120 companies involved in the UK's energy sector.
2: In terms of the physics of the thing, you can get it done in a year, really. So the industry is perfectly capable of building an onshore wind farm in a year. The thing that slows it down is the the regulatory hoops we have to jump through. So things like getting planning permission, doing the environmental assessments, you know, um, doing public consultation. Now, all these things are good, and the industry wants to have that relationship with the customers we serve, and you don't want to be causing more harm than good, particularly if you're building renewables. But the... Length of time it takes to clear all those barriers and then to access um, some of the financing and policy mechanisms that we have in the UK just takes too long. So we could strip some of that out or simplify it and go much quicker.
0: And regulatory reform would make the money come in faster.
2: Energy is a kind of public-private partnership and if you think about the net zero transition or the energy transition... We expect it to cost about 50 billion pounds in capital expenditure so that's you know the amount of money we need to pour into new infrastructure green infrastructure but most of that money is expected to come from the private sector and private companies what markets well-designed markets can do is level the playing fields for for the technology we want tomorrow so that we can move more capital into them early and so we can get them going quicker They can make sure that um, they provide a kind of investable market for, for the private sector so it's a safe place to put your money. And they can make the UK a more attractive market to put money than other countries.
0: In fact, we've already shown we can do that in the North Sea.
2: We've done it with offshore wind. So the projection for how much offshore wind we can build, at what price has fallen consistently in the 10 years I've been working in industry, And that's because we've gotten really, really efficient at building them much quicker than people thought we could. And we moved capital into those projects faster than we thought was possible. That hinged on a cracking bit of market and policy design, which was our contract for difference auction. So it's one of those examples of where if you get all the pieces right, the money will move.
0: Another big advantage of investing in renewables is that the transition to net zero is likely to create a lot of jobs. According to the energy industry trade body, Energy UK, around 738,000 people are currently employed in the sector.
2: It's a massive sector of the economy and this industry sees net zero as the kind of next industrial revolution for our bit of the economy and with all the jobs and skills and growth that go with that. So we're expecting hundreds of thousands of jobs to come off the back of investing in renewables and of... Of new technologies like carbon capture and hydrogen and all the rest of it. We've already seen that. So, in places like Grimsby and Hull, which are my father's neck of the woods, if you go there now, there have been companies that have worked there for generations moving over from things like fishing to getting components out to the offshore wind fleet. You know, we've seen towns change because of the investment in um, offshore wind. If you're listening to this, you might hear some gurgling. This is my 12 month old baby sitting on my lap. And when I think about the jobs that he and his sister are likely to sit in in future, they're going to be in an economy largely powered by renewables, in highly skilled jobs that come off the back of that, and I think that's really exciting.
0: British industry is already committing significant funds to a renewable's future. But the government has a key role to play in continuing to make the UK clean electricity sector an attractive place to invest.
3: We've already committed to doing £25 over the next decade in investment, which is a record from from our perspective. There'll be a bunch of other players who want to do the same thing. We're going to need all of that. I think the state's there to facilitate. Sam Peacock
0: is Managing Director of Corporate Affairs and Strategy at SSE. The company is not only a leading generator of renewable electricity and one of the largest electricity network companies in the UK – it's also busy building the largest wind farm in the world at Dogger Bank as part of a huge investment programme that sees it building more offshore wind than anyone on the planet right now.
3: If the cost of capital goes up by one the, percentage, the cost of reaching net zero, as we call it, by 2050 goes up 50 billion. So we want to keep investor certainty very, very calm and, and, and keep long-term investors in there so that they can keep the cost of capital down.
0: And he says we need to reduce the time it takes for money to flow into the
3: sector. Following the, the energy crisis we've seen over the last 12 months or just under, it's actually meant the need to double down on that investment at pace. And I think the key thing is you've got a bunch of investors and companies like us who are trying to make those investments, and we want to work with governments on making them as quickly as possible.
0: Sam is positive about the investment environment we've already built in the UK, especially compared to some other European countries. The key, he says,
3: will be to preserve it. It's why actually the UK has been such a investable climate. Actually, look at what we've done in offshore wind, delivered huge amounts of offshore wind investments over, over the last decade, cutting the cost in in three. In but I'll give you an example. In, in, in Spain, they did a lot of changing to the renewable energy incentives about a decade ago and actually caused them... Quite a few problems. They basically went back on investments that had been made in good faith at the time. And actually, I spoke to an investor last week who said it took them a decade before they could actually get back investing in Spain. So the UK's managed to avoid that. We've got a really good investment climate to date, but it's about preserving that. And he says there's an opportunity here for a healthy partnership
0: between the state and the private sector.
3: In, in energy, probably over the last decade we've had periods where the industry and governments have been at loggerheads now we need a partnership approach because we need to do a lot of investing at pace and as a political imperative but it can be done i'm optimistic about this there's companies who want to build the technologies are still there we can do this more jobs
0: cheaper energy meeting our net zero commitment that's a much better future than the situation the country's in at the moment As we've heard from all three of our guests, the key will be making the sector even more appealing to investors. Crack that, and Britain really might become a green energy exporter by 2040. A final word from Emma Pinchbeck and her four-month-old son sitting on her lap.
2: The crisis in Ukraine has shown that we need to take security in a much broader context than we have done previously. When we've, when we've talked about security in the past, we've tended to think about it in terms of baseload reliability. So can you turn a power station on at the drop of a hat? But what is the point in having that kind of generation there if the fuel that you require to power it is largely controlled by hostile actors or you're at the behest of a global price and a global market? And so most countries, particularly European countries, reliant on Russian gas, are thinking about how they can develop their energy systems away from what is now a volatile international commodity. That doesn't mean we won't need it, particularly through the transition to you know, a more renewables-led system. But secure and green now mean the same thing, in my mind. You know, And particularly in countries like the UK where we have such brilliant natural resources, we should be using as much of it as we can.
0: I'm David Baker. This special podcast episode is sponsored by SSE and produced by Politico Studio.